Thank you, Randy. As we interact with this portion of scripture tonight, Matthew 22, 23 through 33, as we consider scripture, keep in mind that to leap into a portion of scripture without considering where it appears, some background and so on, probably isn't good. Matthew is a Jewish gospel. Christ is presented as king. It's written by a Jewish tax collector, that is a Jewish Jewish tax collector before he came to Christ. It's not necessarily written all chronologically, and it's obvious in the context that the Sadducees knew the law. And as you read the book of Matthew, you will find that Christ is presented as the son of David, and because he is the son of David, he is going to be king. The Jews were looking for a king, you know, an earthly king, but Christ is not coming as an earthly king at this time. When you get to the end of the book, the centurion is the one, as he saw Christ being crucified and dying, he said, surely this was the Son of God. In the immediate context, Jesus has been teaching and responding to questions. You know, people are asking him questions, and he responds. In chapter 21, we have the triumphal entry. After the triumphal entry, Jesus clears the temple. And then in light of Jesus being the son of David, he is also the son of God. He curses a fig tree, or causes a fig tree to wither, I should say. Responds wisely to questions on authority. He shares some parables And then he talked about paying taxes to Caesar. And then we come to verse 23. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Now, in relation to the Sadducees, we find that they were very religious people. The Sadducees were very religious They were the political party of the Jewish aristocratic priesthood. Priest, priesthood, and they were the ruling party. They were priests, but not all priests were Sadducees. They held only to the written law and rejected the traditions of the Pharisees. Now, they wanted to hold to the written law of Moses, reject the traditions of the Pharisees. They denied the resurrection of the body, personal immorality, and retribution in a future life. That's very important in light of the context. They denied the resurrection of the body, personal immortality, and retribution in a future life. Very important. According to Acts 23, 8, they denied the existence of angels and spirits. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, 
they said. Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. And then he, they go on to say about the seven brothers. Now it's interesting when you get to verse 28. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Now they don't believe in a resurrection. But they're asking a question about the resurrection. They're asking a question about something they don't believe in. Now let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 25. Deuteronomy chapter 25. Sadducees, they wanted to follow the written law. No, they rejected the traditions of the Pharisees. Deuteronomy 25 and verse 5. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must marry or must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, My husband's brother refuses to carry on my brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then the elders of the town shall summon him and talk to him. If he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go to him in the presence of the elders. Take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, This is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's line. That man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandaled. So the Sadducees are coming to Jesus with a legitimate question in light of Mosaic law. Family, seven brothers, the oldest brother marries. He dies. There's no children. The next brother's to marry. He dies. There's no children. The next brother's to marry. There's no children. The next brother. And then what happens? The seventh dies, and finally the woman dies. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Now keep in mind... It's clearly stated the Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection. Now notice Jesus' response. Jesus replied in verse 29, You're an heir because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Jesus does not address their unbelief in a resurrection. He doesn't address that. He doesn't say, hold it, you're asking a question about something you don't believe in. He just says, you're an heir. Why? He clearly says, you do not know the scriptures. But they're asking a question about the scriptures, but he says, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Religious, but ignorant. 
They knew a lot, but they didn't know Scripture. And they didn't know God. You're an heir. He says in verse 30, At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What was true of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at this point in history? They were dead. But Jesus says, God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So if he is the God of, not of the dead, but of the living, what is true of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? They're living at that time. Died physically, but living. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Here the Sadducees are asking a question about the resurrection, which they don't believe in. And if you don't believe in the resurrection, what happens? You're dead, you're dead. That's it. Now Jesus confronts their belief by saying, God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. He communicates scripture. Have you not read what God said to you? They claim to know scripture, but he said you're an heir because you don't know scripture and you don't know God. Here's what scripture says, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the living. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If they have died physically, and he's the God of the living, they must be living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. He is dealing with religious people who didn't know Scripture and didn't know God. The God they knew was the God of the dead. Because when you die, that's it. No, I'm not the God of the dead. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, in light of this passage, notice that Jesus let them ask their question. The Pharisees came with a question. And it's a fairly lengthy question. He let them ask. As we respond to religious people and they have questions, we probably need to let them ask their questions. Notice that Jesus confronts error directly by clearly communicating Scripture. He clearly communicates Scripture. You are an heir because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. And then he straightens them out. At the resurrection, there isn't marriage. 
be like the angels in heaven. And you don't know scripture because I'm not the God of the dead, I'm the God of the living. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He confronts them with scripture. He knew scripture. And I'll respond to that more in a little bit. The response of Jesus goes to the heart by pointing out their error. You don't know God. You don't know scripture. You claim Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in your heritage. If they're dead, then I'm not their God. But I'm the God of the living, so they must not be dead. He addresses their heart. Because they're asking a question about something they don't believe in. And Jesus says, indirectly, you may not believe in it. But here is the reality of it. Now, as we think about making disciples, we think about relating to religious people. A couple of suggestions. Listen to the questions of religious people. Welcome them. Questions show they are thinking and how they are thinking. Welcome questions. <clears throat> I enjoy talking to religious people sometimes because I love to challenge you know, them in discussion. So if they ask a question, many times I'll respond with a question to drive them back to scripture. So a number of years ago, a guy says to me in light of our discussion, so you believe you can have eternal life in a relationship with God through Christ and Christ alone? Yes, I said, here's what scripture says. Well, he says, I don't believe that. Well, I said, what do you believe? Well, Christ sacrificed for my sin, but I have to do some good works. Well, then I came back with a question. What do you do with John chapter 3, 16 through 21, where Jesus says, He that believeth is not condemned, and he that believeth not is condemned already. That's what Scripture says. What are you going to do with that? So if you are saying belief in works, what do you do with the Scripture that says belief only? Welcome their questions and then Respond to their questions with scripture in its context. I can't overemphasize the importance of scripture. Don't air your opinion. Well, I think this, I think that. Scripture. They want to argue with scripture? Let them argue with scripture. Scripture is what the Spirit of God will use to convict. What does Jesus do? Here he is, the Son of God. Does he say, well, here's my opinion. You're an heir because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. What does scripture say? The resurrection, you know, there be neither married, not be married or given marriage. I'm the God of the Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but the God of living. You're an error. You don't know the scriptures. 
don't let religious people argue with you. Let them argue with Scripture. So I was talking to a religious guy one time, and I asked him, are you a believer in Christ? Oh, yeah, I'm a believer in Christ. Well, when did you come to know Christ? Oh, I came to know Christ, and he could give me the time. I said, I have a question. I got my Bible out, and I read him the following verses. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you're claiming to be a believer. You're going to inherit the kingdom of God. But yet your lifestyle is some of the items that you mention. How can you say you're a child of God and live in this way? The next time I talked to him, he said, I'm not sure I am a believer. See, he's not arguing with me. He's arguing with Scripture. Very, very vital as we relate to religious people. Don't be afraid to point out their error when they share items but use Scripture. You know, using Scripture, not your ideas. You have no authority. Appeal to God. Appeal to Jesus. Appeal to Scripture. We'll give an example of that in a little bit. No Scripture. No God. No Christ. Scripture is so very critical because it reveals Christ, reveals God. And through Scripture, we come into a relationship with God. We come into a relationship with Christ. And the Spirit of God works through Scripture. Recognize that religious people will have a head knowledge of their beliefs many times, but will not know Scripture, God, or Christ. Seek God and how to point this out to them. How many of us have someone in our family that claims to be a Christian, but their lifestyle does not show it? They may have a head knowledge, but it's a distorted head knowledge. So you're talking to someone, maybe in your family or someone you know, oh, I'm a believer. God says that if I trust in Christ, he gives me eternal life. Scripture does say that? You're asking them now. Scripture says that? Yeah. Where does Scripture say that? Well, it says it. It does? No, put the burden of proof on them. Where does it say it? And they may take you to John 5 and verse 24. You know, as an example. Then you might say, listen as I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, 
if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Is it possible that you don't know scripture? Maybe you know what you want to know, but you don't know scripture in its context. Or you might take them to a passage like Hebrews. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. I'm not debating what they may say if they believe in Christ and they have eternal life. But they're not knowing all scripture. They're not knowing what God says. People will have a head knowledge that is convenient for them, but not all of scripture. Years ago, when... uh, Dad and I had some conversations about whether or not the believer in Christ was secure. And we get into some pretty interesting conversations, and he would say, Dan, well, I don't believe once saved, always saved. I said, I don't believe that either. Well, he says, people say, once saved, always saved. And the Bible teaches it. I said, the Bible doesn't teach that, as you're saying it. You know, where you just get saved and then you go out and live like you want and everything's fine. I said, the Bible doesn't teach that. You know what the Bible teaches, Dad? We come into a relationship with God. We experience this grace that Mike was talking about earlier and we want to live in response to that grace. It's not a have to. We don't want to abuse God's grace. We want to be sensitive to Him. We want to walk with Him. We want to know Him day by day. Dad, you're not seeing scripture. Then I pushed him a little harder. I said, hey, Dad, what sin's going to make you lose your salvation? He never did answer me. I believe he believed he was secure. But he was responding to what he thought scripture said. Again, don't be afraid to use scripture. Do not attempt to prove them wrong or attack their beliefs. Just go to Scripture and let Scripture work. You know, it's so easy for someone to say something to us and we get defensive and we start to attack and try to defend our view. Give that up. Just go to Scripture. Let Scripture speak. They may not respond. They may not accept it. Let them go. Jesus didn't attack them immediately. He let them answer or uh, ask a question and then he responds and takes him to scripture you're an heir because you don't know scripture you don't know God okay we'll give some examples okay first example a religious person may exalt Mary That's very, very strong in our valley, where Mary is exalted. Very strong in our valley. 
So you may be talking to a person, and they're a religious person, and in the conversation, it might come up that, you know, Mary is very, very important. In fact, you pray to Mary, and, you know, Mary can intercede for you. I wouldn't argue with them. But go to Luke chapter 2 with me. Just take them to Scripture. After Mary found out that she was going to give birth to the Son of God, I'm sorry, it should be Luke 1, not Luke 2. <clears throat> Mary visits Elizabeth. And here's Mary's song, beginning with verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. I want to stop right there. Notice what Mary says. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Who needs a Savior? Mary does. Why? She's a sinner in Adam, as we discussed this morning. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. And the focus is on Mary. Why will they call her blessed? Because the Mighty One has done great things for her. The focus is on God and what He has done. Say, read Mary's song. Who was Mary? A sinner who needed a Savior. And God chose to use her. He did mighty things for her. Go to Scripture. Just let Scripture speak. Another example. Someone may say you must do works to be saved. Now that's very, very common. The average person thinks you have to do something to be saved. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Again, you want to just let Scripture speak. Don't have your ideas. Don't argue with them. But Ephesians chapter 2. Let's begin reading with verse 1. We read this this morning, but we'll read it again. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So you're talking to someone who believes you can do good works to be saved, and you read this passage to them, and then you ask this question. What can a dead person do? What can a dead person do? What can they? Nothing. What can a dead spiritual person do to merit a relationship with God? Nothing. Oh, you're saying I'm dead? Scripture's saying you're dead. You mean to say I can't do a good work to merit God's favor? Scripture says you can't do that. 
Let them argue with God and debate with God, not you. Take them to scripture. Another example, Allah is God. Is Allah God? Is Allah God? No. He's a false God. Now, if you make that statement, you're going to put people in the defensive because that's your view. I'm not doubting what you said, Joe. What might you turn to to think about how to respond to them? Let's turn to Philippians 2. And in the process of responding to them, you might ask, Tell me about Allah. What is he like? But in Philippians 2, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now this is, I'm addressing someone who may say, Allah is God. Has Allah ever sent his son because he loved the world to pay for the sin of the world? If not, maybe the God you claim is Allah is not God because it's contrary to what scripture says. Let scripture speak. You could take him to John chapter 1, 1 through 18, which describes Christ coming from God, revealing God. So what is God like? Read the Gospels, because what is said about Jesus is true of God. So is all a creator? Is all a life? Is he light? Is he grace? Is he truth? Again, taking them to Scripture. One final one. Concern for the security of a believer. A person claims to be saved, but not really obedient and so on. There's quite a few of them floating around in the Christian community. And if you try to convince them that they may not be saved... Oh, they always go back to, well, I got saved at this point in time. Yeah, I'm, I made a profession of faith. I don't even, wouldn't even go there. Don't even discuss that with them. Why? 
because they're basing it on something, on an experience. If they want to do that, fine. Rather, take them to 1 John as an example. 1 John. Just a couple verses from 1 John. First John, chapter 2 and verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. Stop there. And just say to the person, what are some of the commands of God? You might say, well, you're supposed to love God. Well, how did you love God in the last week? Doesn't the Bible say that we're to love our neighbor? How did you love your neighbor this week? And there are many, many other passages in First John. We're not being hard. We're not being critical. We're not tearing down. We're just seeking to be like Christ as we deal with religious people, to bring them back to Scripture over and over again. I guess as I get older, maybe I'm becoming a little more gracious, but bold. As I've interacted with some religious leaders in our valley, we have been discussing some items along the way. And those that would claim to be somewhat of the same belief system as we would have. I have said, if you say that, what do you do with this portion of Scripture? If you claim to be a leader of the flock of God, and you're a shepherd of the flock of God. But you're driving away someone. How do you reconcile those two? You claim to be religious, but you're living contrary to that. Or saying to a gentleman who is going to undergo surgery that he may not survive, Going under the knife, thinking he's a believer, saying to him, how can you claim to be a believer when you're living this way, Galatians chapter 5? And God says, this is true of you if you live that way. We're not being unkind. We're determining where people are and seeking to respond to them in light of Scripture. Jesus could have said to the Sadducees, you just got it all mixed up and left them go. He pointed out their error. Did they ever respond? Not that we know of. But that's beside the point. Questions or comments as we wrap it up? Enjoy talking to religious people. Just use scripture. And if you don't know what some scripture or word to use 
or what scripture to use or whatever, get back to them later and find out. But use scripture. Don't let religious people go on in their incorrect beliefs without responding to them with grace, with love, and with scripture. I'm sure all of us have religious people in our severe of influence that we can respond to in grace. Thanks, Father, for Christ, how he responded to people. May we grow in responding to people in light of Scripture, being gracious, but at the same time, clearly communicating your word. As we have open doors of opportunity, we want to walk through them. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.